Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Survival of the Artist podcast. It's uh, It's been a minute, but I am happy to report that we're going to be coming back strong. The last episode was episode 14 with Eric Heron, and we are now back with episode 15. My special guest is Ruslan from King's Dream Entertainment, former dream junkie, now solo artist, entrepreneur, and Indy Jones himself. He's getting ready to come out with Indy Jones 3 this Friday, March 31st. And I'm excited to talk to Ruslan mainly because I tried to get him on this podcast last year. And he pretty much told me, hey man, I only do interviews in person. Well, lucky for me, Ruslan and I were both in Boston for the Elevation Conference. Shout out to Mike Mack for putting that together. And not only did we have an amazing time, but we also got to be roommates for a night. And it was there that we actually set up for a video podcast and interview and he was kind enough to give me the audio to upload it for my podcast. Um, everything we talked about just fits so perfectly into the scope of the Survival of the Artist podcast that it just, even though it's not the normal format, it's uh, it's pretty close and I think you're definitely going to learn something. So without further ado, check out the conversation with Ruslan and I. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Justin, editor of Rapzilla.com, and I am here with Ruslan. Hello. Right Hello. in front of me. Hey, Justin. Hey, hey. The San Diego, New York, West Coast, East Coast connection. Yes. And this is the first time we're speaking. This is the first time I'm speaking face-to-face with a representative from Rapzilla and long-form content in a long time. That is, that is <laughs> that's very, how poetic of you to say it that way. So, so Ruslan, in case you don't know, is releasing Indy Jones 3. This Friday. This Friday. Well, whenever you see this. Hopefully this hopefully, year, before hopefully, the album ho- hopefully, hopefully before this Friday. <laughs> the date is May 31st. Yes. Um, so I want to open it up. This is part three, obviously. I, I don't yep. know how long of a series it's going to be. I don't know either. This is the end of your trilogy, your Star Wars, whatever. You're going to have some prequels. So like what oh, is- uh, Indy Jones prequel. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. Well, you have, you have Indiana Jones and you have young Indiana Jones. Ooh. I'm helping you now. Okay. So you've been, you I'm, not, I'm not giving you any A&R credit on the, if That's we fine. do that. That's okay. fine. But like, what's this idea of Indy Jones? Like, it's obviously you, mm-hmm. but like, who is this person, this persona? Like, what are you trying to accomplish with this Indy Jones name, this brand? So the brand or the name really just came from me asking my Superphone people for ideas for an album. And I was just like, yo, I want, I want some ideas. What do you guys think? And someone hit me back with this long, like, the, the pillar in the Indiana Jones movie was named such and such and such. And I was just like, Indy Jones. So Indy Jones. Yeah, so Indy Jones. I was like, so Indy Jones. And so it's kind of a part of my ethos. Um, and it's the whole indie thing is becoming more and more as I'm right. transitioning to doing more stuff to curating and helping artists. Right. My thing is like, man, what if this is dreaming right now, but what if I could help? How many artists could I help to also build six figure businesses off of music the way I have? Right. And if I could do that, that would be fantastic. Right. It's just kind of uh, feeding success into the industry. Like I think. It might have been you or or Derek Miner yesterday uh-huh. in a concert at Elevation Conference. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about how CHH as a community 
instead of trying to build outward, yeah. should kind of feed itself. Yeah. Everybody gets yeah. to eat. Yeah. And sustain itself rather right. than relying on other people because no one's going to care about it as as, as much as, yeah, as the as people do. that are actually yeah. in it. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yep. yep. Everybody eats. Everybody eats. And one of the things I do love about Derek and Doc and the RMG guys is instead of seeing other artists like competition, they look and see community. Right. And I think we need more of that. You know what I mean? Like I think we shouldn't be competing with each other because we're we're doing the similar thing and the market is too small. The niche right. is too small to see right. anybody as competition. So instead of seeing competition, we see community, we see collaboration. And that collaboration kind of challenges, uh, I mean, kind of creates challenges for you. Like you see what your friends are doing, your peers mm-hmm. are doing, mm-hmm. and you want to be, not that you're envious, like, oh, I want to get on their level, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I see what they're doing. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we make this all work together? Like, mm-hmm. how can we get to that same spot, those mm-hmm. same spaces, right? And just challenge each other to be better, yeah. at what we do. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where curation comes into play. That's where what we saw Rabzilla do today at Elevation Conference, where they were listening to music, giving feedback. Right. What I do with Fan Love Friday, um, like trying to solve problems. Right. Mm-hmm. So many artists are just being artists, or clothing brands are just being clothing brands. But who's actually trying to solve problems? Right. Those are the people, if we're looking from an economic standpoint, if we're looking in the marketplace, tend to, tend to do better, right? If you're right. solving problems. So the indie mantra is really trying to solve the problem of the emerging upcoming artist to be self-reliant and right. not be dependent on getting put on or Rapzilla putting you on or getting on a playlist, but how can you be as self-sufficient as possible? Right. Like I always say when our, when our yearly freshman list comes out, mm-hmm. And you always have people who are disappointed. Right. <laughs> and I, I put out a tweet this year that says, uh-huh. if your only goal as an artist and as someone who works for Rabzilla, and yeah. I'm saying this, yeah. if your only goal is to, I got to make that Rabzilla freshman list, right? then you don't, you have no goals. You lose. You should be beyond. <laughs> like if you get posted on Rabzilla, cool. Yeah. yeah. But like if you're not looking beyond getting posted on Rabzilla, then you have no vision for what you're doing. It's it's yeah. so much bigger than that cosine. Mm-hmm. You create mm-hmm. your own lane. Yeah, yeah, and 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 let's be let's be honest. Like the Rapzilla cosine helps. It helps, right? It helps a lot. And what you guys do is important. What isn't helpful? Not not by you guys, but when there's only one Rapzilla and there's only one place that's curating, right? And right. that's where I think the dope part about seeing a DJ Mike LV explode is that he's curating, right? right? And he could partner with Rapzilla, but he could also be autonomous and he could have his own playlist, the God Always playlist and his own clothing thing. And I think if we had more people curating, more people trying to solve the problem that there's way more artists than there are platforms. There's right. way more talent than there is outlets, right? Right. That's a problem that few people were looking to solve and that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah. I mean, everybody's a rapper nowadays. Right. And there's not enough people realizing that maybe they shouldn't be a rapper yes. and that their talent lies somewhere yes. else. Yes, yes, because everybody wants to platform. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be Lecrae, not understanding that Lecrae has a dozen people, more multiple dozen people behind him who are, you know, propelling and pushing team, him forward. Yeah, team building. Right, right. So let me, let's deviate from that for a second. And I kind of want to ask you almost about your hip-hop story. Like hip-hop at its core mm-hmm. is an artist kind of going through the, the, a disenfranchised state. They're telling their story, their yeah. struggle. Yeah. You kind of have that background, but in a unique way mm-hmm. because you came from another country yep. and you came here 
and you had your own sort of disenfranchisement. Right, right. So how, would, how did hip-hop become your outlet to kind of tell a story that's kind of unique to you mm-hmm. uh, that many people probably would have never heard before? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I, I come from the former Soviet Union. If, if you're familiar with me, you've probably heard the story. Me and my family came out here as, as refugees, immigrants in the early um, 90s. Mm-hmm. And we moved to San Diego, which is a, at the time North, nor, no, excuse me, Normal Park, nor, Normal Heights is a predominantly Black Hispanic area, and that's all I was exposed to. Like everyone in my apartment complex was Black, you know, and everybody listened to hip hop. And I was already semi familiar with American culture. I was into like Michael Jackson and that kind of stuff, but hip hop was right. a, like emerging, exploding thing. And so for me, it was it wasn't very like intentional. I just like I rapped because I, I my mom couldn't afford to get me a guitar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like my dad left, uh, and me and my dad are great now. We've reconciled and we have a great relationship. But my mom, mom's a single mother on welfare right. in the hood. Uh, I'm one of you know two or three Russian kids in my neighborhood. You know, and and this is what this is what the culture is. You know what I mean? And so it was a very just natural thing to start freestyling and then kind of get a karaoke machine and start like rapping mm-hmm. with like the dub tapes on a karaoke machine. And then before you yeah. know it. You're like, you're kind of developing a craft. And for me, it was initially just freestyling. And then when I got into high school, we moved to North County, which is a suburb of San Diego. Um, I was freestyling with some of my friends that we were walking to school one day and they were just like, yo, like, you're nice. Like, you're really good, you know? And at the time I was trying to play ball, right? Typical like hood story. Like you grow up and you're trying to be an athlete or a rapper because that's hey, all you see. Those Russian ball players now. Yeah. Those, 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 those European ball players now. You were ahead of your time. Yeah. You yeah, had the yeah. Euro step when you came here? I did not have the Euro step, but I'm working on it now. Um, that's, that's all I knew. And so it was a very natural segue and it didn't feel as unique as it seems now. Like, granted, I was a white dude doing hip-hop. That's, oh, you, what, what is this? This is weird. But it was very natural. It was very organic. And it developed into a career after a ton of trial and error. Right. So it, it's kind of interesting because, like, you kind of have that, as you said, like, kind of like that hood story, but the element of you started somewhere else. Mm-hmm. While most people are talking about, this is where this is where I was born. I grew mm-hmm. up here. Mm-hmm. This is what I saw. Right. You saw something else completely different mm-hmm. and then came here mm-hmm. and saw something completely different yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah. Your, your story is more unique than your average, like, this is what I saw on the streets. This mm-hmm. is what I experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's kind of cool because it's mm-hmm. not also, it's also not the typical white rapper right, story right, 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 as well yeah, yeah i'm not I'm, i don't i'm not angry at my mom you know yeah. what i'm saying like yeah, i'm yeah. not like popping pills i'm not depressed you know what i mean right <laughs> like you you have a whole a whole you left a whole nation mm-hmm. and came to a new nation and had to just kind of discover everything i had to assimilate to american culture right did you speak english no i did not speak i did not speak english my mom spoke british english so so like it was very different you know what i mean it was like a yeah it was just like formal english in 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 a very broken russian accent so she was like the the lady that can kind of take everybody to their meetings and help translate but her english wasn't great but she was the only one that could kind of speak english and so yeah that was the that was the initial thing so we had to assimilate quickly and for me the easiest way to assimilate was just hip-hop hip-hop music so the hip-hop helped you learn English? Absolutely. Hip-hop and cartoons, like watching American cartoons. That makes sense. Yeah, and, and hip-hop was fantastic. Like, it was like 
really cool. And granted, there, you know, obviously there's some negative things about hip hop at the time. You learned a lot um, of bad words. A lot of bad words, <laughs> a lot of misogyny, a lot of gangsterism, a lot of just stuff that in hindsight weren't the most helpful in terms of just like I got a, I, I got arrested at 11. You know what I mean? Like breaking into houses. I was smoking weed super young. So when we relocated to the suburbs, which we thought were the suburbs where we really had just relocated to another hood in North County that was like kind of cleaned up. And, uh, it was like, all right, like this is a second chance. I get to kind of start over, right. you know what I mean? And, uh, and I started playing basketball and taking basketball seriously. When I got cut, um, I was devastated. I thought I was going to make it to the NBA. Like I thought I was going to be like a professional basketball player. That was, that was the plan. That was my life plan. And I got cut my sophomore year from junior varsity and it was detached from reality a bit, you know, cause, because right. the, the great thing about America is you, they, t- they tell you, you can do anything. Right. They don't tell you like factor in your height, your, your natural fast twitch muscles. Right. And so here I am like, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. And then like I get cut. And for me, like the only other thing I was really good at, cause I couldn't read, like I couldn't, like I read and write because English was my second language. So I spoke it. Yeah. But learning to read and write it, the lettering is confusing, right? It was very confusing. And so I didn't learn to read and write until like really read like until like freshman year. And what got me reading was the Bible and a Stephen King novel called Desperation. And I read those two things and all of a sudden I could read and the picture would come alive to me. So when you made your raps, did you write them in Russian and then rap them in English? No, 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 no. I would write them in English, but my grammar was horrible. Was my just, spelling was terrible. But like, it was hip hop. So you yeah. were able to... I know, could barely decipher it back. <laughs> but I, I like how that's funny. And I, I spoke to uh, MC Nice earlier today. Okay where he played college football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like his dream is to be a college football player. Right. But he he busted his knees and now, and then he went into music. Yep. So you you kind of have something where it's like, I'm going to be a famous basketball player one day. Yes. And then when that wouldn't work, you're like, all right, I'm going to pick another good, easy job. Right, I'm going right. to be a famous rapper I'm someday. A rapper, yeah. <laughs> but you made it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm making it. Making I'm making it. You're on I'm your way. I'm making it. Yeah, I'm you're making on, it. Well, yes. you're successful at doing it. I'm, I'm successful at being resilient and persevering and being stubborn uh, is probably how I cope with the trauma <laughs> from my childhood. And so I just kept at it long enough. Like I started writing, writing down raps seriously, recorded my first song 20 years ago. You know what I mean? So I just kept at it and it took me another 10 years to make it profitable. So in 2008, 2009, when Twitter and all that MySpace kind of faded, Twitter exploded, it started to become a little profitable. I could see a little bit of money from it. And then another five years before I can go full time. Right. I mean, but even from what I said, like success is relative. So you found your success. Yes. Like, this is what yes. I'm doing. Yes. And I'm making it work and I have a family and, and I could support them. Yeah. And now I'm making it work. We're, we've grossed six figures consistently. When I say gross, I mean gross, right? Like I'm not taking home six figures. I would love to. That's what we're working on next. And now the question is, how do we scale? Like how do we go from being where we're at, which is this like boutique label to growing and evolving and getting to that, ne- that next tier, I would say from a revenue standpoint, probably be kind of like what RMG yeah. is, where Humble right. Beast was. Um, how do we go from here to there? Right. And then what would it take to go from there, right, grossing half a million or whatever, 250K, half a million to um, that like seven figure business, which is where yeah. Reach is at now. That's what I'm trying to figure out. 
I'm going to thank you so much for the segue into talking about your label because okay. I had no idea how I was going to make it. very smooth. That was very smooth. I have no idea how I was going to make this <laughs> jump, but now We went I over the entire interview prior to this to make sure we hit all these points. It's 10 minutes ago. So, <laughs> so I wanted to ask, why did you start a label and bring other people, mm-hmm. and I say this in all kindness, bring mm-hmm. other people into mm-hmm. the me- your own mess of like trying to make it as mm-hmm. an indie artist. Mm-hmm. It's like, and you said you're you're starting to, you're trying to, you're mm-hmm. building, and then yep. you said, well, let's bring some other people in. Yeah. So like, why? What, what was behind that? So when I did my senior exhibition in high school, we used to do this thing where at the end of the year, year your, your high school career, you'd have to give up and do like a 10 to 15 minute speech in front of members of the community about what your life plan was, your career plan. And my right. career plan was, I want to run my own record label and be an artist. Okay. Which was really interesting in hindsight that, that I knew that at 18, or, I, or at least I thought I knew that at 18. What basically happened was I got saved and radically converted and believed in Jesus. And from a scriptural standpoint, every time I would mm-hmm. look at Jesus, and, and his last thing was go and make disciples. Go right. go and reproduce what I've done in you. Go do it for other people. Go serve other people. Go right, love other right. people. Go help other people. So one, it was that. It was like, if I'm truly a disciple, it shouldn't end with me. Like, I shouldn't get saved and be like, I know Jesus for me, right? At right. the same token, if I'm making music and I figured out how to make this thing that's so wild in terms of the way it works and the mechanics of the music industry, I figured out how to make this profitable on an indie level without a single dollar from any any corporation any investors if i could figure that out for me maybe i could figure that out for some other people you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. and 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 i had homies around that could rap and i saw talent and potential in them and so it was like i don't form a that's the scriptural heart behind it right like a mentorship discipleship and then from just a practical side like i just i've always wanted to help other people you know what i mean right and it didn't become profitable till much later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Helping other artists didn't become profitable till much later. And um, so 2012, me and the me and Belief were doing the breaks. That was kind of fizzling out. And it was like, yo, let's start a label. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And call it King's Dream. King's Dream was actually a song on Breaks Over 2, which is a mixtape series you did in 2011. So I kind of had the name for a while. I should have went in got the domain bought because like right after I wrote the song, I could have bought the domain. I didn't. And then somebody else bought kingsdream.com. So now it's kingsdreament.com. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a natural segue into helping other people. And it was it was from that place of sincerity. Right. So where where did you get or how long did it take you to kind of get the confidence in yourself to kind of be like, you know what? Guys, trust me. Like, come along this journey with me and we're going to do something great. When people started asking me to help them. Okay. Because I didn't know I was good at marketing and business. It was other people saying, hey, man, like, not artists necessarily, but like other pastors, mentors. Hey, man, like, you're you're a good rapper, but you're tenacious and you got something about your mind that other artists don't. Like, you Mm -hmm. know how to understand the other side of things. And you're creative, but you have some other guys around you that are also creative and maybe with your push... You can help them get to that next level, right? And so that's it. Was just it was just that, man. It was just your savvy kind of other people being aware of it, and no one else being willing to do it, right? Like no one else be like. I remember being on the phone with Chad Horton. Shout out to Chad, who's probably watching this. I don't uh, know who that is. Uh, uh, <laughs> in two thousand and seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven, maybe before that. Jeez Louise! 
And he was working with Syntax Records at the time. Yeah. And for me, it was like, if I can get signed by Syntax, I can get signed by Syntax. Syntax had Red Cloud. They had put out Pigeon John Records. They had put out... I think they had Braille. They too. had Braille. Um, Humble Beast. They they did the first distro thing for Humble mm-hmm. Beast. And this is before Humble Beast. And I remember sitting there in chat, and I was just like, why? And I was speaking about a specific artist that they had signed, and they were really pushing. Like, why would y'all push this dude? This dude is corny. Like, what are y'all doing? You know, he's like, well, he... He speaks to specific markets and he has really good relationships with these people and da 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 da. And I was like, yeah, that dude is trash though. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and like Chad saw the potential, but we could just no one just cared. Like no one wanted to sign us. Yeah. So I'm just gonna sign myself. You know what I mean? I'm just gonna do it myself. And it worked out. I'd say so. I'd definitely say so. So now switching over to kind of what you were saying about marketing and branding, mm-hmm. like how important is is having a strong brand for an artist in staying relevant or achieving mm-hmm. any kind of success? It's very relevant, but I think we mystify a lot of that. And we use these terms like marketing and branding, which for me, when I first started hearing that stuff, it freaked me out. Like, what yeah. does that mean? Like, I'm not freaking Nike. Like, <laughs> like I'm not a brand I'm a person, right? And so I am trying to think of those things in the sense of um, I have recently, I think marketing is really just storytelling. Like marketing is great storytelling. How can you tell a story creatively? Exactly. Make other people care. Are you you self-aware enough of your own story? Because I wasn't. I had to have other people tell me like, you know, this whole refugee thing is really interesting. You should rap about that. You should tell that story. So one, being self-aware enough to know your own story. And then two, branding, I think is like, what is your ethos? What is your reputation? What Mm -hmm. do you want people to know you by? So Indy Jones is a brand, right? King's Dream is a brand, but they're really just an extension of who I really am. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really that simple. So I think artists tie into your story, lock into your story, make that story interesting, embellish a little bit if you have to. You know what I mean? If you're a kid from Nebraska and all you know is cornfields, um, okay, that may sound boring on the surface, but you can figure out a way how to finesse that. that. You know what I mean? How do you make that exciting? Like the, the time the, the corn, they were cutting the corn, they almost took your yeah. head off. Yeah. Or, Turn or, that into a saga. Or <laughs> or tie that into, um, uh, play that into like the Children of the Corn, which was like Big L and Biggie and you know what I mean? And Cameron, they had a group called Children of the Corn. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, like there's ways you can do that, but, but it's, understanding how to tell your story. So that's what marketing is and branding is, your reputation, what do people know you by? When they hear your name, what do they think? Right. You know, and I think that's the part where artists lose touch with that. Yeah, and it shouldn't be hard because, like you said, it's your story. So yeah. who can tell your story better than you can? Yeah, I yeah. can't tell. I will never be able to tell your story as good as you can. So it's figuring out how to properly convey everything you already know about yourself right. to make other people care. And right. people don't kind of see it that way. Oh, right. I got to create this persona. Yeah, I have to be. And we were talking about Eminem before, joking, yeah. but like. Yeah. He created personas, yes. and that worked for him. But he yeah. was still kind of himself within yeah. within that. Yeah, it's an exaggerated. But version it's an of exaggerated yourself. version. Yeah, it's an exaggerated version of yourself. So it's like it's like um, it's it's the comic book version of yourself, or right. the WWE wrestler version of yourself. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the way I would just define it. I think that we confuse marketing and branding with sales and advertising mm-hmm. how you do sales and advertising that's a different art form right you know what i'm saying like that's like facebook sales or cold calling venues trying to book shows that's a whole nother machine right if you have a strong marketing component and an idea of your brand 
the sales will come easier. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. especially if you're sincerely trying to solve a problem. Right. If you're right. not trying to solve a problem, it's just about you and your narcissism of trying to be a rock star and trying to be the next Lecrae. Then it's like you're 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 already dead in the water, in my opinion. Right. So now taking that, what are some things that you do outside of your actual music creativity to creatively push your brand? Like I know you do a lot. You're this that we're doing right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Something you do. You kind of have those those video those vlogs, those podcasts. Yeah. So what are what are some of the things you've done over the years to say, hey, this is me, Ruslan, yeah. not the rapper, right. but related to my creativity? Yeah, I think initially just had to stop thinking of myself as just a rapper, right? So I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a personality, I'm an influencer, I'm an artist, I'm a creative, I'm an entrepreneur, right? I So one, I had to make that mental shift, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. if you look at where everything is going, um, you have... A lot of people emerging in the world that are, they don't do one thing, right? And so you look at Joe Rogan, right? And Joe Rogan has the most popular podcast in the world right now, right? right? Um, but Joe Rogan is a stand-up comedian who has a really successful career as a comedian. He hosts game the, show host, the game MMA. shows, MMA, mm -hmm. and he has a podcast. Yeah. So he wouldn't allow himself to be pigeonholed as just one thing. Um, you know, a guy like Gary Vee. Gary Vee has a, a tennis shoe. Gary Vee is a YouTuber. Gary Vee is an entrepreneur. He runs a, a huge company with a thousand employees. He's not limiting himself to one thing. So one, I had to stop thinking of myself as just a rapper or just a label right. person. I'm a whole person. Right. You know what I mean? That I'm passionate about basketball and I'm passionate about social issues and I'm passionate about conversations. So one, I had to make that shift. Two, I started sincerely trying to solve problems. Like in the sense that there is no long form conversation. So for me, the logical thing was like, yo, I'm going to do a podcast. Boom, I'm doing a podcast. So this is 2016 and I'm just having my homies on. Jay Givens is on, Belief is on. We're just shooting a breeze, you know, yeah. talking about stuff. And then I was like, when I went full-time with music, I started doing a vlog. 2015, I did my first full-time rapper vlog. And I thought, oh, how cool would it be the day I become full-time and quit my job, I'm going to do one of these a month or a week. And right. I did, I don't know, 10 of them or whatever. And people were like, they loved it. You know what I mean? And, and it was like, okay, cool. Now I'm, sh now I'm showing the documentation of what it looks like, the mechanics and what right. my life looks like. Right. You know? And so I think I was just sincerely trying to solve problems that no one wanted to solve. No one every until this day, there's no other, there's no one in the Christian hip hop space that's vlogging. Like Aha does a little bit, like there's a little bit of vlogging on his YouTube, like one or two vlogs. And Belief completely left the space and started doing Belief in Fatherhood. Right. No one's vlogging, no one's podcasting. Like, right. why not? You know what I mean? Like, and so now we don't have a Joe Rogan experience. We don't have a long form mm -hmm. conversation piece in our community. It just doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Right. We had Wado who was amazing. And for whatever reason, maybe he wasn't taken care of well enough. Maybe he just had some personal He's not doing this thing anymore. It's just burnout you know? from yeah. the space. From the space because it's a high work, high grind, low pay, low, you know, reinforcement. And uh, I've, by the grace of God, been able to diversify my income streams. So I could do this and it just be fun. And then all of a sudden, Patreon comes along the way. And now this is a legitimate income stream. Podcasting, YouTubing is a legitimate pa you know, passive mm -hmm. income for me. So for you, what would you, looking back, like what would you say has been your biggest success so far since entering you know, this creative space? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Biggest success so far. 
I'm gonna give you a cop-out answer. Um, the biggest success is having multiple successes. The biggest success is having uh, a record like Indy Jones 1 and 2 and Americana do really well for me independently. Um, and then being able to turn around and add a John Keith to, this, to the equation mm-hmm. who is exploding right. and has fans that aren't fans of mine necessarily. And I have fans that aren't fans of his. And then being able to take that and recreate that and do that with Paul Russell. You know what I mean? And now everybody's yeah. going crazy about Paul Russell. I mean, the behind the scenes conversation of how many major labels are reaching out and people being interested and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, who's Paul? Who's John? Like, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Like, it's, and I have to be very like, yeah, let's converse. Here are my non-negotiables. Here's what we're not going to do. You know what I mean? And so I think for me is that is a very uh, important thing. Like there aren't a lot of artists that have been able to do that. Like mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of artists that have been able to recreate themselves and put other artists on and plug people on. I mean, we can name Fizzle, uh, Lecrae, and who else? Who else in our space has done that? Bizzle, Lecrae, Derek, Derek, Derek Minor. And Doc. Derek and Doc. That's it, right? Um, so I think I think that to me is probably my biggest success. I think I think being able to see talent, see the vision for the talent, and seeing wow, John Keith can be the biggest thing in Christian music. Like I believe that, and mm-hmm. I think that's going to come to fruition as long as he continues doing what he's doing. He can be the biggest thing in Christian Christian music. Right. Forget Christian hip hop, Christian music. You know what I mean? I think Paul Russell can be a huge. Indie or indie rapper on the level of Childish Gambino or whoever, you know what I mean? I think he has that much range and that much talent. Like I, I see that, and I can reverse engineer what that's going to take. Where we mm-hmm. put the money? How do we get the cash flow to make that happen? How do you know what I mean? How do we leverage technology yeah. to do that? And it's just starting in a very micro sense, and then hopefully, hopefully scaling and making it even bigger. Yeah. So now, what about what would you say is your biggest failure so far? Ooh, biggest failure. Probably, that's a great question. Biggest failure is probably taking on more than I could handle without the support system, without the infrastructure. So in being multifaceted and wanting to do a vlog and a podcast and a label and my own music, that's a, that's a lot, and merch and shows, is that I've failed at creating an infrastructure and, a, and systems to take what we do and recreate it over and over again. And so mm-hmm. I, it's something as simple as like, man, tax season comes around and I'm hurting because I'm like, freak, man, I got to write a check to the IRS and we got to file an extension. And then I got to, where am I going to get this money from? I got to go hustle. I got to get this money. I got to pay it, right? And that to me, it's whatever the ta- taxes are taxes. That to right. me is a breakdown of my ability not being able to scale and not being able to create infrastructure. So it's a lot of conversations with my wife. I'm like, yo, like, you're freaking smart. <laughs> you like numbers. That's my help wife. me. You know what I mean? Like help me. Like I, we got QuickBooks. Put me on a budget. Like put me on a budget. Help me have a plan with the cat. Because if I know with the cash flow, help me know when to drop merch. Because if we can drop merch, we could do that. Um, building with guys like Doc Watson to understand the Facebook pixel and retargeting ads, and so that we can actually make merch. If I can make merch a legitimate thing, if I can make um, uh, our Patreon grow. Boom, now there's cash flow. Now we could have employees and we could, you know, like we could do more things as a business. That is hard. Like that is hard. And that's probably been my biggest failure. Do you have any regrets? Um, No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. 
I don't think I have any regrets. I have things that I've learned. I've less lessons, a lot of lessons I've learned and a lot of things that had I not made mistakes with money, uh, had I not made mistakes with maybe being too ambitious at times, being too, um, too, too driven, I wouldn't have learned what I learned now. And I would say the only thing that I'm learning about myself now is, and I guess it's kind of a regret, is I wish I would have went to therapy earlier. I, I, I wasn't aware how much the trauma from my childhood, the PTSD, uh, which I got diagnosed with complex PTSD, which is different than um, uh, P regular PTSD is when you like you go to war or you're, in, or you're in a crazy situation, you see somebody get shot, you see somebody die, yeah, right? Yeah. That's PTSD. Complex PTSD is when you have a series of traumatic things that happen to you. Your mom's, your mom's an alcoholic. You get abused. You get sexually abused. You, you, you grow up without food. You're hungry. Those things add up over time and the symptoms are build. similar to PTSD, right? So I'm learning all this stuff about myself now. If I could have learned this stuff five, six years ago um, and went to therapy and worked through it and actually had a name for it, I think I could have solved some of the, the mistakes. I could have avoided some of the mistakes. I could have maybe learned that I'm a very optimistic guy, but that comes at a cost. I got to be careful to not take on more that I can handle without the systems and the, and the infrastructure. All right. So let's, let's turn it. Indy Jones 3. Indy Jones 3. It's coming out. Coming out. This Friday. This Friday. May 31st. May 31st. I just heard it. What do you think? 32 minutes of good hip-hop. Very solid hip-hop. And he's right in front of me. So, <laughs> I'm not lying. So, he rapidly he rapped. That's what I told it's him. Rap, I like rap, the rapidly rap. Tell me about it. What, what, is, what is Indy Jones 3? What are you trying to convey on it? The, the songs, the, the mm -hmm. message, the meaning, is, is there something in overarching theme? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. Have, would, could you find, could you kind of pick out the concept a little bit? I'm going to be honest, not, not really, okay. because it was, it was one listen one through. One listen through. So, so on Indy Jones, there's a loose concept, right? The concept is I am naturally a person who likes to help people and give information, give education. Um, you can't always do that in the platform of rap music, right? So I can't like rap about my Dave Ramsey baby steps and how we had this much and then we pay, like, yeah. like it's tough to package that. D1 did really well with Finish Pink Sally Mayweather. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, and he killed it and he, I love that dude and I love his heart. I, it's, but that's very difficult to do and still be like cool hip hop. You know what I mean? And also, it's it's difficult to continue to build off of that. Too. Yeah. That, that's like kind of a one and done thing if you get it right yes. the first time. Yes. So on Indie Jones 3, um, I, my music is always going to have substance. With this record, I feel like there's a lot of substance. And basically how I packaged it is I, I, I'm a huge sci-fi time travel guy, right? So I played with this concept in my head of like, if I can have a conversation with the future me, the version of me from 10 years in the future. What would he yeah, be telling that's me? That's a great song. And, and then the listener gets to time travel with me because most of my audience is 10 years younger than me. And it's the, ten, it's the version of them from 10 years in the future talking to them. That's really right. what the record is. And that's how you open the record. Yeah, yeah, that's how I open the record. And that's, that's also how I close the record. The, right. the outro song, Outliers, is also how I close the record, speaking to kind of like my core audience of whether they're creatives and artists or whether they're just trying to figure out life, speaking 
as that like big brother mentor through the music, but again, packaged in a way where I don't have to, uh, it doesn't sound like I'm preaching and trying to teach to you the whole right. way, considering the, uh, the palette and the textures that people are into. So trying to do the rapidy rap rap thing so that the old head, the old heads can appreciate the lyricism, but the, produ the production and the cadences and the flows and the tones and the textures that the young generation can appreciate it and receive it. That's what I was trying to do. Right. So since you have kind of this plan and this, this marketing brain mm -hmm. of yours, when you're creating songs, do you kind of see the concepts expanded? Like your, your first, the first track is future me. Right? Yeah. First song is called intro. The second song is called future Fu me. Future yeah. me. Yeah. So like when you're thinking of future me mm -hmm. or, or writing it, mm -hmm. do you see like a music video in your head or do you see like where this is going? Like as, as, you're, yeah. as you're kind of putting this album together, yeah. do all those puzzle pieces fall together for you? Yeah, I'm starting to create in the sense of like I could see locations and I could see visuals in my head. I'm not, I'm not as linear. Uh, there is a collaboration process that happens with Zach Sparazzo and Where's Lugo, who they hold down the majority of our visual. Like I'm going to go see Lugo tomorrow. We're shooting another visual for Indy Jones 3. So there is that, but I also like their input because at this point, I'm pretty self-sustaining. I'm producing all the music. I'm mixing all the music. I'm mastering. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple people, the, the Paul Russells, the John Keats, um, the, the people that aren't in the crew, but they're like homies, like the Montel Fishes and the Chas Smiths that, that kind of come around and I'm kind of like playing music for them. What do right. y'all think? And so they're kind of helping me, but I'm pretty self-contained. So I do appreciate the creative process with the directors and the video guys. Right. Okay, cool. So now kind of, kind of with that, I want to even shift away more mm -hmm. and say, and this is shout out to, to Ed Boyce of Rapzilla. Mm -hmm. He's, you were recently named an OG in mm -hmm. hip hop, mm -hmm. in Christian hip hop. Mm -hmm. You're pretty young to be an OG. Mm -hmm. So what, how does that feel that you were like called that? And, and what do you think, like, what do you think of that term? Like, do you, do you feel a responsibility? Yeah. If people think of you as an OG, yeah. do you, and, and that's kind of like what you've been saying the yeah. whole time, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting when you allow other people, when you listen to how other people perceive you, you can grow in self-awareness. And I think some of the best artists, creatives, like, are very self-aware, you know? And so, yeah, Loom Hip Hop uh, did an Instagram blog post that called me one of the new OGs of Christian rap, which I thought was from one perspective, I've always been kind of an outlier. I've always been kind of like against the grain, right? Like, I don't right. whatever, Christian pop's going this way, I'm going to go that way. Um, but I think as I'm getting older, as I'm maturing, um, I don't need to fight for liberties. I don't need to fight for people using the cuss words or whatever the thing is, right? Don't call us Christian rappers. Like, I'm just so over those conversations um, from a, from a, branding ranting standpoint i want to have those conversations in long form so people can understand the nuance but i'm not going to rap about those things i'm not going to tweet about those things right so one I, I'm, I'm kind of over that and then two um it, it is flattering it is flattering to be in the same categories as Izzo, Derek minor and lecrae that from my perspective those what they've been able to do and the impact they've had is tenfold bigger than mine but for whatever reason, I'm viewed as the kind of like this new OG or gatekeeper. So it's like having conversations with people in my circle, like belief and different people like, yo, like you should embrace this. Like stop seeing you. Because I've always saw myself as on the outside of this thing, right? Even though I've had relationships with Chad and Tim and Sinsack and all these guys for decades, I've always seen myself as someone on the outskirts, you know, because I wouldn't play by the rules that were ha happening 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I didn't want to play by those rules. But now it's like, 
it does that really matter? You know what I mean? Like, right. like I have an I have an influence. I have a voice. I could help. Might as well embrace it and be a part of it and 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 rep it. Now, for you, kind of who who are your OGs? Like, who are the people that you look at and you're like, this is my Mount Rushmore of people that kind mm-hmm. of like, I know that they could steer me in the right direction, mm-hmm. just like maybe up and comers are looking at you. Yeah, I would say Future Shock. Um, Future Shock off off rip. That those are the guys that really like put me on. You know what I mean? Like I got saved in two thousand, uh, two thousand eleven. Excuse me, two thousand one, two thousand eleven, two thousand one. And I remember that year. Excuse me, two thousand two. That year, I went to a Miles McPherson crusade, and it was this big thing and um, big big festival type thing. And Cross Movement performed. And I remember meeting Fanatic from Cross Movement. And then a week later, and it was like a cool, like we chopped it up. And then a week later, I met, um, I met Al Red from Future Shock. And Future Shock used to be a part of Tunnel Rats. Um, and so the Tunnel, Future Shock, Caps, Red, Sojourn, Ajax, I still stay in touch with those guys. They've all gone on to do incredible things. And those were the guys that really like discipled me, cared for me, helped me as a rapper, helped me as a producer. And... Um, and yeah, man. So those are the guys that's my Mount Rushmore's. Those dudes, you know what I mean. Now, yeah. um, obviously, you know, you you have to factor in the the cross movement dudes and the tunnel rat guys. Um, but th- I didn't have a relationship with them. Right. I right. got to be mentored by Future Shock, and that was One-on-one. monumental. Yeah. Right. So now, what would you say to kind of wrap everything up? What would you say is the key to the modern like survival of an artist? The key. What are, what are your gems? Uh, man, that's a great question. I would say, uh, one, understand how to make good music and understand what makes you unique. And there's, there's mechanics of that, right? There's like the, the practical side, which is what we do on Fan Love Friday. We're giving people feedback, which you guys do with the Rapzilla critiques. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a thing, right? That's important. And then I would say two is um, ownership, like take ownership of your choices, of everything you can't take ownership of and don't be expecting anybody to put you on. I think financially, financially it'll come, but practically you have to have that mind shift. Like you have to have the shift that you're not going to get discovered. <laughs> like labels are looking for artists who already have exposure. They, they're signing you when you're already popping. They're not right. signing you to get you popping, you know? And so one, I would just say, have that mentality going into it. And then I would say, man, get on your grind. Like figure out, there's so many ways to make money now. There's so like, like, okay, your music's not selling yet. Okay, figure out the playlist. Okay, you're having trouble getting on the playlist. Okay, figure out your merch. You know, f- come up with a, a clever t-shirt title and figure out Facebook targeting ads and use your shirt as a way to fund your music. And come up with cool T-shirts, you know right. what I mean, or whatever. Like, 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 think like a entrepreneur. Don't let people say you're just a rapper, you're just a creative. And and then I would say, like, from a very practical standpoint, is um, once you do those two, once you kind of do those things, I would say um, collaborations. I think are probably going to be the easiest way to build your way up, properly timed with the right artist. So like. You being a nobody reaching out to Derek Miner and paying him $2,000 for a verse is way premature and is not going to be helpful. But you having 1,000 Instagram followers, 500 Instagram followers, and finding a guy that has a couple thousand Instagram followers is in a little further than you are and build, trying to build a sincere relationship of how you right. can add value to them, 
those types of collaborations are going to go way further. And that's what you've seen with the new generation that's coming up. If you look at like the indie tribe guys, right? It's just a bunch of dudes that 18 months ago, no one knew or cared about. And they just kept working together. And then all of a sudden it built and bubbled. And now you have Paris, Chiriz, and you have, you know, obviously no big deal. And what up RG and all the, this new plethora. And they all kind of came up collaborating together. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the missing thing is everybody's trying to compete when we should be collaborating. On the fly, since you mentioned that, who was the first guy that, or or artist that you reached out to, that was kind of like, for for a collab that was kind of maybe a little bit ahead of you, but kind of helped you along the way. Braille helped me a lot, man. Early on, Braille did a lot of features for me, took me on the road, um, was very helpful, and he was going through a lot of personal turmoil. Um, but he was extremely gracious and helpful in so many ways. Like it was like Future Shock and Embraille, who actually lived near me for a season, and we've just always maintained a really cool relationship. And he he met, and he's only a few years older than me, but he really did help me out early on. Um, I would say from that, not not collaborate, but I mean like man, I like I've gotten multiple free verses from Lecrae. I've gotten multiple collaborations from all kinds of artists. Derek, my like, there's been so many people, and I would say that. If you are sincere and you work hard and and you're good and you're unique, Christian hip hop is really a space where you can get noticed pretty quick. You know right. what I'm saying? If you are trying to do your own thing, you're trying to be whatever, like, and you're just a jerk, like, it's not going to go well for you. But if you are sincere and you're good, like, people people are trying to be the, hey, look, I helped discover this guy before he got popping. Like, there is a value in that. Like, why do you think Drake keeps hopping on all these no-name records? You know what I'm saying? Like, like the Migos Versace song was bubbling, but it wasn't what it was until after Drake hopped on it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or going up on a two. Like, there's value in a bigger artist finding smaller artists, hopping on their records and helping them out. And I think... We don't quite understand that. As we get bitter, we get entitled. We say it's all for Jesus, and then six months later, we're mad that nobody's rocking with us. And it's like, bro, you've been doing it for six months. Like, chill. Like, Rapzilla doesn't owe you anything. No one owes you anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? So just keep working hard, and the chips will fall where they're supposed to. Awesome. And and that's all I got. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it to you. Like, are there are there any kind of final thoughts, closing words, things that you want to say that kind of pertain to this interview that maybe we didn't go over? Yeah, I would just say, man, uh, artists, consider what we're doing with Fan Love Friday. Check out the Patreon. Like, we do Zoom calls every Sunday night. We listen to your music and give you feedback. Check that out. And then I would say, check out Indie Jones 3. Like, listen to it. I, I really feel like if you're just a, a whatever type of hip hop you like, I feel like there, there's something on there for everybody. And check out Paul Russell and check out John Keith. That's it. Justin from Rapzilla. That is. That is Ruslan from Mini Jones 3. That is, is there a closing? Yeah, that's how we're going to close. <laughs> <laughs> that is Ruslan the rapper. <laughs>